0: the world from a totally different perspective? Ready for provocative conversation? Intriguing stories and inspiration? Then don't touch that dial. Welcome to Talk with Francesca. She'll give you something to talk about all week long. Now, here's Francesca.
1: What if you took the time
2: welcome to talk with francesca that's talkwithfrancesca.com if you have questions or you have comments don't hesitate to weigh in by emailing me at info at or if you have a show suggestion feel free to email me as well we're going to get started we have a lot to cover this morning so sit back grab your favorite morning beverage and relax this portion of talk with francesca is sponsored by club boutique in portsmouth new hampshire Ladies, I have to tell you, this place absolutely rocks. If you can walk out of there without buying something, whether it be a dress, a pair of pants, a top, a scarf, whatever, if you walk out of there without buying something, then you have what I would call amazing, amazing willpower. Talk about feeling pretty when you leave. I know because I was just there. All right, let's dive right in. Melanie Berlier is an immersive journalist and author who has written rich pieces about her experiences, The Shadow and the Light, for publications like Vanity Fair, The Atlantic, Cosmopolitan, Elle, and Esquire. Her work is enthralling and seductive, diving into society's underbelly with undercover stories about sugar babies. That's fascinating, because by the way, I did a story. (laughs) <laughs> on sugar babies a while ago, Melody. Um, oh wow. Yeah. Uh, I'm all about that world. Um, what was his name, Nick? Uh, something Bi- Biderman or something? No oh. Bi- Biderman.: Oh okay, yeah, I know the name. Okay. Anyway, sorry sorry about that. Uh, she also so she writes about sugar babies, plastic surgery, and the Ashley Madison website. I think that Nick is the um, owner of that
1: website. Yeah, that's why that name is familiar.
2: It's Ashley Madison. Yep. And by the way, listeners, I forgot to mention, which is a a big deal here, uh, Melanie is also the editorial director of Thought Catalog. Okay, but today we are going to be talking about Surviving in Spirit. That is the name of her book, A Memoir About Sisterhood and Addiction. I read it, it's it's just, it's enthralling. So she's here with us this morning, obviously, we've chatted already, and I'm thrilled to introduce you to her. Welcome, Melanie. Thanks for being with us here this morning.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So
2: I want to tell you, when I first saw your website, I was like, who is this chick posing <laughs> n- Naked. <laughs> but, I, but I also want to tell you, I was immediately jealous that you had the guts to do that um, but, but but anyway, so I went through this sort of um, this 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 mental thing in my head, you know, I went through my biases and then I said to myself, "Hey, maybe she's got something the rest of us don't. Why don't you talk to her? And voila, here we are. <laughs> So, so anyway, uh, tell us why do you write such provocative stuff, or, or not just write, but you are provocative. Would you say that's accurate?
1: Yeah, I think that's accurate. I don't know if you saw the story I wrote for Cosmopolitan about that photo you're referencing where I'm naked, which is also um, uh, from the photo shoot that was done for the cover of Surviving in Spirit, but uh, I wrote a story because... In addition to posing naked, my boyfriend's father was the photographer. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, people were even more shocked that I, you know, was willing to pose naked in front of my boyfriend's father. And, yeah, that's a provocative thing to do. I think that I, first of all, I was very dedicated to sort of translating what I thought my book was about, which is that. you know, I felt so very vulnerable in the aftermath of my sister's death. And I think that, you know, that nudity wasn't meant to be at all sexual, but, mm-hmm. rather, to, but rather to evoke that sense of vulnerability I felt. Um, but in general, I think I'm provocative because I just don't really care what other people think. Oh, um, I love
2: you and hate you at the same time. <laughs>
1: that's, that's, so, I want my, yeah, so I
2: want my free three minutes of, of therapy as to why you can say, what other people think about you is none of your business. But but before you do that, so I didn't mean to interrupt. But when you said that, it was mm-hmm. just like,
1: damn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I don't. I have so much distance from other people's opinions of me. You know, I know there's chatter and that people call me a whore, and I probably have a ton of internet trolls. But I I don't read comments on my work because I don't think it's valuable. Um, and I just think that. You know, a lot of it has to do with the process of watching my sister um, struggle with alcoholism and succumb to, you know, her addiction at such a young age and just being able to get some perspective very early on about how short and fragile life is. And I just, I find it hard to, you know, pine over other people's opinions when there are so many better things to do.
2: You know it's it's um well, first of all, the, the picture and talking about vulnerability, you know you're absolutely right. Have you ever and i've got, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna bet I'm gonna bet you have because haven't we all had dreams about being naked? and when you wake up in the morning, um you know, if you have any sense of who you are. Um, you you know, in, in, that you know that that dream of being naked has to do with vulnerability. If you think about what's going on in your life, the likelihood is you're feeling vulnerable in some way. Would you say that's accurate? definitely? Yeah, yeah. So i um, you know, and, and
1: I also I, think that nudity is very beautiful. You know, mm-hmm. um, it, it doesn't have to be overtly sexual, and um, I think that there's a lot of power in a nude image that isn't intended to be sexy. Mm-hmm. Um. Personally, that's my opinion.
2: Absolutely. So, your sister was um, older than you. Is that right?
1: Correct. She was three years older.
2: And she and she died of addiction. At, at how old was she?
1: She was thirty when she died on April fifth, two thousand and nine. Um, and she had been struggling with alcoholism for a very long time—maybe five years. It was really bad, and ultimately, she died of cirrhosis, um, still, you know, even for, you know, lifelong alcoholics, dying at 30 from cirrhosis is pretty spectacular. It, it really happens. Uh,
2: yeah, I, I, I was curious about that. I was thinking, gosh, this is like a young age to die of cirrhosis of the liver. I mean, that's just, mm-hmm. that's just, but, but, but in your book, Surviving in Spirit, um, about the addiction, your sister's addiction and her death, You say that your path is only understandable through the lens of you and your
1: sister's relationship. Could
2: you um, explain that a little bit more?
1: Sure. I think that is something that I certainly didn't see when my sister was still alive. But just through the course of grieving and you know being introspective about my path to date, I realized that a lot of the decisions I made in life were both, you know, my career and my love life and life in general were informed by, you know, watching her go through this, this incredible struggle and, um, you know, for instance, I was right out of college, I was a bond trader on Wall Street and if you met me today, you would think that that's the craziest thing ever um, and I I quit that job, job um, in order to pursue a much more, as you said, provocative career as a journalist and... I ended up falling in love with a a married man and um, going after that relationship. And I think that those are both two big moves that have to do with seizing the day that I wouldn't have made had I not, you know, gotten this up-close glimpse of how short life is from my sister. And,
2: and you know, and I remember when I was uh, reading your book that um, when you start talking about this this man who was married, and and I Mm assume this was the same man that – that you met that in, in your book that is your boyfriend still today. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. So, you know, I, I um, and I really got from that, like, yeah, she's like really saying, hey, uh, we have an incredible connection and I'm going for it. And, and many people would share your feelings, but there's just another whole set of people, and I'm not even talking about judging. Um, here, right. Uh, but I'm talking about, Uh, Wow, that's crazy because everyone knows that uh, married men don't leave their wives. Uh, Yeah. Married men who cheat are really not available, all that stuff. And so how did you um, navigate that or or I should say... Yeah,
1: I completely agree with you. And I think it's true in most cases that married men don't leave their wives. Um, For me, I think that I really just trusted my heart. I met this man, I fell for him during the first few years. I was, you know, my sister was still alive, and I didn't have much emotional bandwidth for a real relationship, mm-hmm. so it almost worked out better for me to be mm-hmm. with the man who was still married. <laughs> um, yeah, as, as crazy as that sounds, no, I it didn't actually have, doesn't at all. <laughs> have room for, you know, a quote-unquote real relationship, and um, I think you know, I didn't expect him to leave her. I was almost shocked when it happened, but I think he just was in a, a very bad marriage, you know. I don't think I'm that awesome that, you know, I could do him or stole him away. I think that a lot of factors um, came into play, and, you know, for me, there was a point where I tried dating other people because I was like, oh, this guy's married, my sister had passed, I should date other people, but everyone I dated, it would get to the three-month mark and just Feel so much less special than the connection I had with this other other man that, you know, I couldn't settle for that knowing what was out there. Um, so I just, I trusted my heart and I, I believe it turned out to be right. I think a lot of people want love stories to be these neat and tidy narratives, but in reality, often the best love stories are, are not all that neat and tidy. Right. So, uh, Melanie, you. Uh,
2: your sister's addiction was really the impetus of so much um, in -hmm. in your life. Uh, uh, Is that right?
1: Yeah, definitely. So
2: so why is that? I mean, what, you know, okay, so you saw that she struggled, that, you know, life was, but what what were some of those thoughts that went through your head? What did you say to yourself that, or or was, and by the way, was was it a real shift for you? Or do you think that, this is who you are, and it just kind of pushed you a little bit?
1: I mean, I think a lot of it was subconscious at first, you know, but it definitely, I don't think I would have been anywhere near as motivated to pursue this sort of risky career as a writer, you know. I gave up a very secure lucrative job to become a writer, which which is pretty nutty, um, and I don't think I would have been able to do that had I not you know, decided that I wanted to really embrace my life, that my sister was dying. I wanted to live more and more. And um, I think at this point, I feel like I have to live for her too. Um, so I just, I'm I'm going for it.
2: Good for you. And you are not just
1: a journalist, you are an
2: immersive journalist, is that right? Yes, okay. yes.
1: I'm, I, um, I tend to, I specialize in infiltrating, you know, various subcultures and, Getting a first hand look inside these cool little worlds.
2: That sounds like very exciting work. It is. Um, so I'd love to know um, what you decide to immerse yourself in, but before you tell us, we do uh-huh. need to take a short break, hear from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Don't go away. You're listening to Talk with Francesca. I'm speaking with Melanie Berlier, Surviving in Spirit. We're talking about her sister's addiction and her and how it is, has really changed her life. Be right back.
1: Are you looking
2: for an authentic Italian meal in an intimate setting? Then you'll want to dine at Terramia's. This North End Italian restaurant provides a simply divine culinary experience and, as quoted in Zagat's Restaurant Guide, pastas without compare, and it's reasonably priced. This North End gem will keep you coming back. Terramia is simply the best Italian restaurant in all of Boston. Call 617-523-3112, 617-523-3112, or looking for a unique gift for a special occasion or a fabulous piece of sterling silver jewelry sunburst trading in raleigh has you covered with jewelry and baubles from all over the world sunburst trading knows what you want located at 160 newberry Point turnpike you'll want to make sure you stop by today and get a little taste of awesome or visit their online store at sunbursttrading.com. sunburst trading is the one-stop shop for all your needs visit them on route one newberry Point turnpike in raleigh
0: Tides is beachside dining at its best all year round. Located at the end of the Nahant Causeway, directly on Nahant Beach, the ocean views from the dining room and the pub can't be beat, no matter what the season. Nominated for Best of the North Shore from North Shore Magazine for Best Alfresco Dining, Best Kid-Friendly Restaurant, Best Lobster Dinner, and Best Water View. Why would you go anywhere else? Whether you choose their dining room, a frosty pint at their bar, or a sun-drenched deck on Nahant Beach, they guarantee you great atmosphere with super food and service. Their menu is full of fresh, high-quality seafood, prime rib, chicken, pasta, and pizza, that everyone will love. Check out their drink menu for fun cocktails, 30 ice-cold beers on tap, and their well-rounded wine list with their state-of-the-art tap wines. They feature full-service lottery and kino. Tides is the place to watch any big game. They have over 20 HDTVs. At Tides, they specialize in casual dining with food that's just delicious, not pretentious. Tides is a fantastic restaurant anytime, summer or winter, lunch or dinner, rain or shine
2: looking for a unique gift for a special occasion or a fabulous piece of sterling silver jewelry sunburst trading in raleigh has you covered with jewelry and baubles from all over the world sunburst trading knows what you want located at 160 newberry Point turnpike you'll want to make sure you stop by today and get a little taste of awesome or visit their online store at sunbursttrading.com. sunburst trading is the one-stop shop for all your needs visit them on route one newberry Point turnpike in raleigh
3: Don't waste your precious time searching endlessly for your flooring or kitchen and bath needs. The best kept secret on the North Shore, Fitzgerald Stone and more, it's your one-stop shop right on Route 1 in Peabody. A family-owned business, Vivian and Tom are dedicated to quality and customer satisfaction, which is why they have a reputation statewide for their expertise. Offering cabinets, countertops, porcelain, and natural stone tiles from all over the world, no project is out of reach. And Fitzgerald Stone is competitively priced, so don't waste any more time shopping around. Stop by Fitzgerald Stone & More, 108 Newbury Street in Peabody, or visit them online at www.fitzgeraldstone.com. Open Monday through Friday, 9 to 6, Saturday 9 to 5, and closed on Sundays.
4: New England winters can wreak havoc on our vehicles. Sometimes it's just not enough to wash and vacuum them. Sometimes a full detail is in order. Do you remember the last time your car or truck was in that pristine condition? Remember how you felt? It's time to get that feeling back again. A full detailing from Tony's Recon can get you back in the driver's seat. Call Tony at 978-590-3693 or visit tonysrecon.com. You'll be glad you did.
3: Want to escape to a little taste of Paris? Then you want to journey over to Jolie Tea Company, located across from the Hawthorne Hotel in Salem, and enjoy the sensory experience of tea. With over 200 loose-leaf teas and a knowledgeable staff that can guide you in your tea selection, you'll want to stop by Jolie Tea Company, 105 Essex Street in Salem, for the most healthful and balancing beverage that you can treat your body and soul to. They carry a full line of tea accessories, sweets, scones, and chocolate. So visit them today for an unforgettable experience, or visit them at Is the TNU.com.
2: If you can walk out of Club Boutique without buying a new dress, top, or pair of pants, then you have amazing willpower. Located in downtown Portsmouth, Club Boutique specializes in dressing women of all shapes and sizes. You'll find fashions from all over the world, but they specialize in fashions from the US and Canada. Club Boutique's dedicated and professional sales staff will provide you with old-fashioned personal service, guaranteeing that you will look and feel your best when you walk out that door. Don't forget to visit the downstairs salon dedicated to meet every social occasion you may have weddings, mother of the bride or groom fabulous parties. They're open seven days a week at 10 a.m. Visit them at clubboutiquecityshoes.com.
0: Let's go, girls.
2: Okay, we are back, and you're listening to Talk with Francesca, and I'm speaking with Melanie Berlier. She, we are talking about her book, Surviving in Spirit. It's a memoir about addiction and the death of her sister. Um, Welcome back, Melanie. Thank you. Melanie, so what really, you know, I'm I'm embarrassed to say, but I I really am not clear exactly what an immersive journalist truly is or how it's different from
1: from a journalist. Well, I would say the main difference is that um, instead of reporting in the third person, a distance, I will actually experience something from the inside, usually as an undercover, you know, operator, and then report on my experiences in, in the first person. So I'm actually um, living this, and I, I just, personally, I just find that if you actually dive head first into something, you end up with so much richer material to draw and it almost makes the writing process easier. Um, and I also just find it more more exciting.
2: Oh no, kidding! So um, I know that you have courage to share personal stories. I'm I'm sure of it. So sure. <laughs> I'm gonna say it. so. I'd love you to share with us um, one or two of
1: uh, the projects I've tackled yes, in immersive Absolutely, forms? absolutely sure. yeah. Well, the most memorable to me are. The very first one I did was um, I was a naked body sushi model, and that was in 2008 when naked body sushi modeling was a bit of a phenomenon, I think, because it was featured in the Sex in the City movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wanted to write about it, but, you know, everyone had already touched on it. So I thought, well, what if I do it and write about it from that perspective? No one's done that. So I contacted the caterer in charge of these events, and I basically was a naked body. It's like you're the human um, platter that sushi is served on for a dinner party. You basically lay on the table, and that was just memorable because it was the first real project I did that way, and I realized this is this is my thing. I can do this, and I love it. Um, I also did a turn as a lap dancer at, in the legal... Um, lap dance lounge in Manhattan, that was definitely, um, Fun. extreme, I, I am, by the way, I have never given a lap dance the night that I did this, but, um, yeah, I basically, you know, dry humped strangers, I made $500 that night, cash. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it was the speediest thing ever. It was funny because the next morning I woke up and I thought, Wow, I made you know five hundred dollars in two hours. That's good money, but I never want to do it again. Oh my gosh! Um, didn't you? And do, then I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. No,
2: I was oh, just going to say, didn't you join one of those? I don't know was it, if it was
1: rent a boyfriend or was it um, rent a gent. Rent a gent. Yes, I did do that too. I rented a gentleman for a date. That was. That was pretty awkward, but um, that was a good one. I also was a drug dealer for a week um, for New York Magazine. I dealt drugs, prescription drugs over Craigslist. Um, that being a drug dealer is a logistical nightmare. I don't recommend it. <laughs> well, good. I'm, I, I'm <laughs> glad
2: that you're letting our our listening audience know not to go that path. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was
1: a phone sex operator too because stay-at-home mom, being phone sex operators was, like, an increasing trend, so I actually got a tutorial from some cam girls about how to be, how to talk dirty, and then I, I was a phone sex operator. And what was um, that like? Oh, my gosh, so strange. People yeah. have the weirdest requests. Um, <laughs> but you feel safe, you know, because yeah. you're you're on the phone, so nothing bad can happen to you. So it's almost kind of, that was kind of fun, in a way. You can, um, you can play out the Play up the fantasy part, yeah. I've done a lot of weird stuff at this point in my life. It's... I did an undercover plastic surgery piece that people um, really respond to, where I went to three plastic surgeons of varying varying price points, and I just asked them to make me more beautiful, and I saw how far they ran with that.
2: And, oh, and I bet you they ran very far.
1: Yeah, they did. It was depressing.
2: Well, yeah, especially because um, I think that, and I won't just say women, men too, but but women more so, um, you know, if they have plastic surgery, they have this this, uh, false assumption that they will like themselves better. But Mm self-loathing is self-loathing. And I'm not saying every woman who gets, you know, a boob job, um, you know, has an issue with self-loathing, but uh, at all. But, you know, yeah. when it, it becomes an addiction, that's kind of another story. Um, right. So, so, but what gives you the courage to share your stories?
1: Um, I I consider myself an entertainer in a way. I love the idea that people can read my stories and get a laugh or be a little bit shocked. And I also think that I have a way of writing in a truthful manner that really resonates with people. Sometimes resonating means it drives them insane and they're mad, but I think that uh, I like the idea of just being honest and authentic and giving other people permission to be honest in that way.
2: You know, I think that being authentic and honest is is no doubt in life the way to go. There's never, mm-hmm. never, never been... Um, a, a question in my mind, but it, it but it isn't always the safest. It, it really isn't. I mean, sometimes it can be downright dangerous, and there, mm-hmm. and there are people, unfortunately, that will use your authenticity against you. So, do you have any, do you have any kind of filter, or do you just like, hey, this is I'm going to say the way it is, whether this person likes it or not, or doesn't like me, or whatever? Is, is there ever a time that you say I'm not going to? I'm not going to be 100% honest.
1: No, I really, there's never been a point where I have compromised my authenticity um, to to pander to a, a reader or someone who might be upset. Um, my objective has never been to call people out, so I don't do these undercover projects with the intent of getting people in trouble or anything. I just, I tackle them, you know, because I think they're interesting subcultures that I can, you know unveil for people who don't have the opportunity to be, you know, a lap dancer at a an underground lap dance lounge. I think that I just I like to give people a glimpse of these worlds that they're not gonna find themselves otherwise.
2: If you're just tuning in this morning, I'm speaking with Melanie Berlier. We are discussing her book Surviving in Spirit, a memoir about sisterhood and addiction. She is the editorial director of thought catalog. She is an immersive journalist and she is wildly fascinating, incredibly <laughs> interesting, incredibly interesting, just, just amazing. Um, so, but let me ask you a different question. You, you, you obviously have a great deal of strength, but what are you... you Thank you. Yeah, but what, what about weaknesses? What kind of weaknesses do you have?
1: Um... No, I definitely am a very flawed individual, um, as I believe we all are. I mean, I guess my weakness is that I'm not always sensitive enough to the way other people might, you know, see things. Um, I think that my ability to, um, you know, let things roll off me and not, get too involved in what other people think almost makes me unable to understand how other people might see things, if that makes any sense. Um, So that that would be a flaw, and what else? Let's see. I mean, I, I sincerely believe your greatest strengths are also your greatest weaknesses so oh, oh, you know
2: definitely oh yeah definitely. so my, my passion is my strength and my weakness and I don't know that I'll, right. I'll ever get a full handle on that but you know on a good day I can say don't, but, be, too, don't be too impulsive
1: yeah <laughs>
2: but this you know there's, um, there's a, I have a lot of passion and very excitable so um, yeah
1: I and, mean I'm not you know people think I'm I, the fact that I'm with this married man is. is for the, you know, while he was still married. I had an affair. I participated in an affair, and people think that's a horrible thing. And I I don't necessarily. Um, but people blame me for that. They like to, at least.
2: What are your friends like?
1: What are they like? Yeah. Do you have lots of friends? I do. You know, I am definitely an introverted person. I have few very close friends. Um, so I I still have very close friends from a couple from high school, a couple from college, and a couple I've met in the city since graduating. And they're very important to me. I really prefer a one on one, you know, interaction versus a group interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like to connect to people and to hear their stories because I get my ideas from listening to people intently and from you know trying to keep in touch with as many different kinds of people as possible. So my friends are a varied group, you know. They're, um, there's no blanket way to describe them, but, yeah. Cool. They're cool. important to me.
2: Cool. Uh, we are going to, Melanie, take another short break. And when we come back, I'd like to, to delve into um, your relationship with your sister a little bit. So so hang sure. tight. We're going to hear from our sponsors, and we'll be right back.
1: Cheers. A red wine
2: looking for an authentic Italian meal in an intimate setting, then you'll want to dine at Terramia's. This North End Italian restaurant provides a simply divine culinary experience and, as quoted in Zagat's restaurant guide, pastas without compare. And it's reasonably priced. This North End gem will keep you coming back. Terramia is simply the best Italian restaurant in all of Boston. Call 617-523-3112, 617-523-3112, or TerramiaRestaurante.com. Looking for a unique gift for a special occasion or a fabulous piece of sterling silver jewelry? Sunburst Trading in Raleigh has you covered. With jewelry and baubles from all over the world, Sunburst Trading knows what you want. Located at 160 Newburyport Turnpike, you'll want to make sure you stop by today and get a little taste of awesome. Or visit their online store at sunbursttrading.com. Sunburst Trading is the one-stop shop for all your needs. Visit them on Route 1, Newburyport Turnpike in Raleigh
0: tides is beachside dining at its best all year round located at the end of the nahant causeway directly on nahant beach the ocean views from the dining room and the pub can't be beat no matter what the season nominated for best of the north shore from north shore magazine for best alfresco dining best kid-friendly restaurant, best lobster dinner, and best water view. Why would you go anywhere else? Whether you choose their dining room, a frosty pint at their bar, or a sun-drenched deck on the Haunt Beach, they guarantee you great atmosphere with super food and service. Their menu is full of fresh, high-quality seafood, prime rib, chicken, pasta, and pizza that everyone will love. Check out their drink menu for fun cocktails, 30 ice-cold beers on tap, and their well-rounded wine list with their state-of-the-art tap wines. They feature full-service lottery and kino. Tides is the place to watch any big game. They have over 20 HD TVs. At Tides, they specialize in casual dining with food that's just delicious, not pretentious. Tides is a fantastic restaurant anytime, summer or winter, lunch or dinner, rain or shine.
2: Looking for a unique gift for a special occasion or a fabulous piece of sterling silver jewelry? Sunburst Trading in Raleigh has you covered. With jewelry and baubles from all over the world, Sunburst Trading knows what you want. Located at 160 Newburyport Turnpike, you'll want to make sure you stop by today and get a little taste of awesome. Or visit their online store at sunbursttrading.com. Sunburst Trading is the one-stop shop for all your needs. Visit them on Route 1, Newburyport Turnpike in Raleigh.
3: Don't waste your precious time searching endlessly for your flooring or kitchen and bath needs. The best kept secret on the North Shore? Fitzgerald, Stone and more. It's your one-stop shop, right on Route 1 in Peabody. A family-owned business, Vivian and Tom are dedicated to quality and customer satisfaction, which is why they have a reputation statewide for their expertise. Offering cabinets, countertops, porcelain and natural stone tiles from all over the world. No project is out of reach. And Fitzgerald Stone is competitively priced. So don't waste any more time shopping around. Stop by Fitzgerald Stone & More, 108 Newbury Street in Peabody, or visit them online at www.fitzgeraldstone.com. Open Monday through Friday 9 to 6, Saturday 9 to 5, and closed on Sundays.
4: New England winters can wreak havoc on our vehicles. Sometimes it's just not enough to wash and vacuum them. Sometimes a full detail is in order. Do you remember the last time your car or truck was in that pristine condition? Remember how you felt? It's time to get that feeling back again. A full detailing from Tony's Recon can get you back in the driver's seat. Call Tony at 978-590-3693 or visit tonysrecon.com. You'll be glad you did.
3: want to escape to a little taste of Paris, then you want to journey over to Jolie Tea Company, located across from the Hawthorne Hotel in Salem, and enjoy the sensory experience of tea. With over 200 loose-leaf teas and a knowledgeable staff that can guide you in your tea selection, you'll want to stop by Jolie Tea Company, 105 Essex Street in Salem, for the most healthful and balancing beverage that you can treat your body and soul to. They carry a full line of tea accessories, sweets, scones, and chocolate. So visit them today for an unforgettable experience, or visit them at Is the tnu.com if you
2: can walk out of club boutique without buying a new dress top or pair of pants then you have amazing willpower Located in downtown Portsmouth, Club Boutique specializes in dressing women of all shapes and sizes. You'll find fashions from all over the world but they specialize in fashions from the U.S. and Canada. Club Boutique's dedicated and professional sales staff will provide you with old-fashioned personal service guaranteeing that you will look and feel your best when you walk out that door. Don't forget to visit the downstairs salon dedicated to meet every social occasion you may have weddings, mother of the bride or groom, and fabulous parties. They're open seven days a week at 10 a.m. Visit them at clubboutiquecityshoes.com.
0: Let's go, girls.
2: And you are listening to Talk with Francesca. I'm speaking with Melanie Berlier. She is the author of Surviving in Spirit, a memoir about sisterhood in addiction. Welcome back, Melanie. Thank you. So I'd love to talk a little bit, if it's okay with you, about you and your sister. Um, mm-hmm. So do you have any regrets, if any, um, with your sister?
1: I really don't. Um... I, you know, there were periods of time where I didn't speak to her, you know, because I was trying to take a stand and not condone her drinking. And there were things I said that could be construed as, you know, really mean, but I had zero regrets. Um, I don't think that she would want me to have any regrets. And I believe that, um, her, her, her life Still has so much value, and I still feel very connected to her. So I don't regret anything that happened the good, the bad, the ugly.
2: Do you hold anyone responsible for her addiction?
1: No, I don't, and I don't believe that she would either. Um, I think that she was probably predisposed to addiction, and certain, for whatever reason, certain life experiences led her that way. Um, It was unfortunate, but she was also just, she was so brilliant. Um, I really admired her so much my entire life. And I think that while she was brilliant, it was it was almost to her detriment. Um, you know, she just couldn't handle the real world.
2: That's not uncommon for really mm-hmm. super, super intelligent people, almost
1: as if they feel like they don't belong. Yeah, I think she never felt... You know, she told me once that she felt like a fish out of water on Earth. She just never felt right here. And everything I remember from her growing up sort of fits into that. That's what she told me. Um, Yeah, but I just remember looking up to her so much and knowing that she was so much smarter than me and being okay with that. We weren't really... Maybe when we were younger we were competitive, but... Not
2: really.
1: Um, Just the two of you. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Um I have a younger brother, actually. Oh, that's
2: right. That's right, Damien. Yeah, that's I
1: didn't right. really write him into the book because I wanted to focus so much on my relationship with Celine, but Damien, my little younger brother, and I have become incredibly close. That's another gift, you know, that Celine, mm-hmm. my sister, gave me is the, the closeness I feel to my brother, and my dad has said that, you know, if he did one thing right, it's, it's that he... Had children who are so close, and I think that's a function of just you know no one understands what we've been through except for the two of us. So it's it's a really special bond that I share with him.
2: What What do you think um, got Celine into drinking so heavily?
1: Um, you know that's a good question. I I heard something. I think that she was definitely given to depression. Um, and I think that when she was in college, the, the weight of the real world just started to pile on, and um, she wasn't equipped to handle it. Um, you know, she was so smart and so talented and could have done so many things. They always, People always say that um, about those who die too young, and it, it all is true for her. But I don't think she had, she certainly wasn't, Uh, motivated to fit into the the real world. You know, does that make sense?
2: Yeah, of course it does. Like,
1: whereas it was so easy for me um, to kind of graduate from college and know that I would have to get a job and I would fall in love with someone and Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. I I don't think she wanted... I don't know what she wanted. She was almost... $2 $2 too for this lifetime. I feel like the time will come in, in a while, hundreds of years from now. <laughs> do
2: you, do you use any kind of spiritual tools? That has this has her, her um, I, death uh, changed? You know, that,
1: it's interesting. Or? I, I am not by nature a very spiritual person. I was raised Catholic, but haven't you know practiced autism to them since my 18th birthday, okay. but in the aftermath of my sister's death, I was actually um, contacted by a medium Oh, wow. who, you know, I laugh, but it, it was actually an incredibly moving experience. This medium in, insisted that she, you know, she didn't want to intrude on me, but she told me that my sister was in her house and wouldn't leave until she contacted me. And she didn't charge me any money or even the issue of payment didn't come up. So I wasn't, you know, too suspicious. And I asked my brother and my brother said, call her, who knows? Mm -hmm. And just, I was bawling by the, you know, five minutes into the conversation just by what she was saying. Um, I don't know. I'm sure mediums maybe have tricks for knowing certain things. Who knows? But all I know is that the experience moved me. And I definitely feel very connected to my sister still. I don't know what. I don't need to label that with anything. It's just, you know, I think of her in moments that feel trying, and I ask her for help in my head, and I even speak to her sometimes, and certain things, you know, that I know would crack her up in the same way that they make me laugh, I I feel her presence.
2: So did she, now you say that you have never been concerned about what other people think.
1: And it sounds mm-hmm.
2: almost to me that she was extremely concerned about what other people think. Am I did I misunderstand that or is that
1: just yeah, a problem? I think I a little something. bit I think she had a harder time fitting in, you know, she was heavier her entire life. She was very heavy. And so I don't think she was exactly the most body confident um, person. And I don't know. She, that's a very good question you're asking. It's something I, I haven't actually pondered, and I, I, I will be thinking about it now for a while.
2: Well, only because, you know, it's, a, it's I th- well, first of all, I think it's very, it's interesting that you both come from the same parents, although, mm-hmm. although you know, who, who's to say, you know, and same upbringing, I assume. Um, right, and yep. And yet you just, now, did you always have sort of a carefree attitude about what other people think, or did this sort of, really come together for you uh, in a more solid way after your sister passed?
1: Um, I think it was always inside me somewhere. I've always been um, a little, like, pretty carefree and uh, probably done certain things or acted in certain ways that other people wouldn't. You know, I've never been one to feel too constricted by rules or societal, you know, conventions. But definitely, my sister passing um, cemented any any doubts I had that this is the way for me. Um, yeah, I don't know. Also, I think it has something to do with being the children of immigrants too. You know, we were always a little bit different, just by way of having French parents mm-hmm. in uh, in America. I, I don't know. That's just a theory, but hmm. yeah.
2: So, is there anything in life at all that you fear?
1: That I fear. Um,
2: I fear.
1: What do I fear? Oh my gosh! I should have an answer to that question.
2: Well, no, you shouldn't, because there's no such thing as shouldn't, as they say, right? I fear. I fear.
1: You know. Now that I'm, I'm going to turn 35 next month, and I fear infertility when I finally decide to have a child, and I fear, you know, for my health and my, you know, my partner's health, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Yeah. Sort
2: of. How would that feel? How would that feel to you if you didn't have a child?
1: If I didn't have a child, Hmm. I I would be very sad. I would like to have have a child. It's important to me. Um, And I didn't always feel that way. When when my sister was really sick, I used to say, you know, I was still a bit confused and angry. I would say, why would I want to bring a child into this world? Because it seems like such a dark place and you know, I was watching my sister die. I didn't want that to happen to my offspring. It can and, still um, be a
2: challenging place to bring a kid.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it is really hard, but I'm also just, maybe it's my biological clock or whatever, but I feel this this pull towards, you know, becoming a mother and maybe trying to impart some of what I've learned on, on, on the next, generation. Um, so, yeah, I have fears about
2: that stuff. Yeah, well, that that would definitely be a shame because you do have so much to offer. Melanie, do you think you're intimidating?
1: I, I, haven't, I don't think so. Am I?
2: No, I don't, don't, no, so. I d- I don't think yes. so at all. No, I don't think so. Um, yeah, no, but, I but don't
1: that think so. I find so. that people are actually very open around me. I think that people are... It's funny, like, everyone from... Strangers to people I've known for you know a couple months seem to confess things to me, and I I would like to think that's because I um seem to be open minded, mm-hmm. but I don't think I'm very intimidating.
2: Well, no, I, I and I don't either not not in the least. I you know find you really just a real sweetheart, but um but you are, <laughs> but you are a very accomplished woman, and you are very insightful, and you have a tremendous amount of depth. And that can be scary to people sometimes. Um, well, thank you. I mean, that can I be feel very so well. People can be very intimidated by um, depth, and, and um, but I suppose it how you come across does you know make a, a big difference too. But but still, nonetheless, when you you have a certain certain level of enlightenment and you're really kind of really right out there, and I, I would I would say you are right out there. Um, that can be a little frightening to people. Um, but, yeah. But, but maybe I'm wrong, you know, but... Uh, no, I think
1: you're right. I think that people definitely... Uh, I definitely have people who hate my work and who um, troll my stories and say horrible things and call me a whore. And uh, I think a lot of times, intimidation manifests as anger, you know. And I I think people... The people who are angry that I exist or that I write what I write are um, probably intimidated on some level. If
2: you're just tuning in this morning, I'm speaking with Melanie Berlier. She is the editorial director of Thought Catalog. We are talking about her memoir, Surviving in Spirit, a memoir about sisterhood and addiction. Melanie, what other questions should I be asking you?
1: Oh, I don't know. Well, you could ask me what's next. I don't know what's yeah, next. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, I just <laughs> want to know—is there anything
2: that I haven't asked sure. that you? Think I need to ask you? I'm just curious. Um, you know, sometimes if, you know, you get interviewed and think, why isn't she asking me X, Y, and
1: Z? So I, say, you know,
2: I'm going to ask right. her.
1: Is there anything that I For should? People, you know, a question a lot of people seem to have is, what do my parents think um, about the work that I do? And I was getting to that. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Is that a good question? It is a question. Yeah. What do your parents think of it? Yeah, because, you know, I really do write very openly about love, my life in particular. And um, I think the idea, a lot of people seem like amazed that I would put that stuff into print that my parents can pick up. And my answer is that, you know, I'm a 30 something adult. I also do, you know, my own laundry and pay my own bills. And it's just not a concern I have. If they want to, not if they don't approve of what I do, um, that's okay. They're mostly they're mostly proud and and do a good job of ignoring the things they don't want to acknowledge. Um, luckily, they're not very internet savvy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it
4: sounds but, um, like
2: they're. It sounds like um, they are very accepting and and I would also think that this is just a guess, but. But Mm -hmm. having lost a child, you know, it is not every parent that loses one. And I think that that, on some level, has got to obviously have changed them as well.
1: I'm sure. Um, I'm not a parent yet, so I can't understand the depth of that, you know, horrible circumstance. Um, and they, they both chose to, have chosen to handle it very differently. My father is a very religious man and he's sort of retreated into religion and he's also very proactive about self help and, you know, gets therapy. And he's a generally contented human. Whereas my mom has really struggled to even accept and deal with her grief, in my view. Um, she almost, she, throughout my sister's illness was actually hesitant to even acknowledge the alcoholism. Um, so she's sort of still in denial, I think, um, unfortunately, because I don't think that's healthy.
2: Um, does, do you ever talk to, I know I'm asking you some very personal questions and and at any time you you can, you know, if you don't
1: feel comfortable, please feel free to say something. Mm -hmm.
2: But um, do you ever talk to either of your parents about your sister's death?
1: Yeah, I talk very openly with my father um, because, you know, he and I have a lot of the same experiences where we feel very connected to Celine still, and, um, but I don't... My mom and I don't really talk much about it, rarely. Sometimes on the anniversary of Celine's death or on her birthday, it will come up, but um, I don't feel like I can be a forthright with my mother because she doesn't want to hear it, so... I have a problem not being authentic, so it doesn't work out very well. Um, but my father and I, yeah, we talk, and my daughter and I speak very openly.
2: Speaking of men, can we shift a little bit and talk about your boyfriend? Sure. So you've been with him for how long?
1: Goodness, it's got to be... We met in 2007, so in August of 2007, so... Technically, we've known each other for almost a decade, but we've been together in a quasi-socially acceptable way for about five years.
2: So what do you have in common?
1: Um, Not much. he <laughs> like the polar opposite. That's what's so great about him. He um He's extraordinarily extroverted and is, you know, pulling me out of my shell. And um, I don't know, he's my best friend. We have so much fun together. We don't need anyone or anything else we just hang out and i think there's something really powerful about just being able yeah. to be yeah. best buddy. So, you know so do you uh, think
2: that this man will be the father of, of a
1: child oh yeah, for yes? sure yeah? yeah yeah for sure i don't know He's asked me to marry him like a few times but i'm not really um interested in marriage i'll do it if it makes sense for you know because of the financial benefit, but I don't want a wedding. Um, I'm not really interested in that. We're domestic partners on paper. <laughs>
2: how, how did um, I know that? And
1: I and I just knew it.
2: <laughs> I don't know, but I <laughs> I, 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 I just knew it.
1: So, yeah, but he's my man.
2: He, he's he's
1: the sperm I want um, to you know yeah. match my
2: egg. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it, he's
1: he's. Sorry, I no, was going to ramble. No, I apologize.
2: No, no, no. Go ahead. Say what you were going to say. Go ahead.
1: Oh, I was going to say, I think he's the perfect, my perfect offset. You know, he, he's strong in all the places where I'm weak and um, vice versa, hopefully. So I think it's a good match.
2: What do you value most about the relationship?
1: How he makes me feel.
2: Ah, um, that, is, that is the number
1: one thing. Yeah, I mean, I... Feel beautiful and smart and happy with him and I hope that I make him feel that way
2: well I'm sure that he'll hear this interview and <laughs> and so I'm hoping that he'll reiterate that that's in fact the case um yeah. so we just have a few minutes left um, Melanie and I just want to know how love and affection plays out in your life how what
1: how, how love and affection
2: play oh. in, in your life.
1: Sure. Um, love and affection. Well, I don't know if you're familiar with the five love languages, but I recently found out what mine is. It's, um, did, do you know what they are? I don't. They're... I don't. Oh, it's great. You should. It's this Next chapman <laughs> Yeah, this man, Gary Chapman, basically um, identified that people tend to give and receive love differently, and he believes that the problem in a lot of relationships is that, you know, people aren't even aware that the way they re- give and receive love may be different from their partners. So if you can identify your way and your partner's, you'll, you'll know how to make each other feel loved. So my primary love language is quality time. I love to spend time with people. It makes so much sense. You know, I want to... Really be present and have those one on one interactions. And I am also pretty physical. I'm a very complete person. I always have been. I'm a middle child, you know. Very affectionate. And the always...
2: Power of Middle Children. Have you read that book? Yes,
1: I haven't. I will have to check it out.
2: Oh, yes. I actually interviewed um, one of the authors um, quite some time ago. But anyway, interesting book. Oh, cool. A, a good
1: read. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm very open to love and affection. I I I value it quite a bit.
2: Uh, so now, and, and what about the way your boyfriend expresses
1: love? What's his love language? Oh, his primary love language is physical touch. But isn't that so? Most you clear? know, minus quality time, he's got to make time to hang out with me and really be present and put his phone down, and I've got to, you know, pet him once in a while.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: well, you know, that's another whole show putting the phone down. I think there was an article. I think it was on the cover of Psychology Today recently, Menage Trois, and they weren't referring to a threesome. They were referring to the couple and the, the, all the technical stuff, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it's really it's a, it's a challenge today, isn't it? You know, it's
1: Well, we we have one night a week where we leave our phones at home and, you know, go on a, a date. It's, it's a great exercise. I encourage everyone to try it.
2: You know what's really funny? I I mean, I have my phone with me a lot. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. the the work that I do, but but you know, there are times where I just refused to take it with me you know like i was a yeah i was at a july 4th party you know july 4th and so what what a day july 4th you know i'm gonna i'm not gonna have it i don't need it and you know i i almost felt guilty returning calls the next day like i didn't have my phone with me so i couldn't couldn't talk to you then it's almost like i wonder if people actually believe that you wouldn't have your phone with you, like, what are you kidding? Right, like, right, really? right. You know, but I mean, it really—it's—it's. It's, um, you know what's kind of fun about it, though, when you leave it and then you check it and you get all these messages. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's kind of fun. You know, kind of silly, but anyway. Um, anyway, um, I, before we we go, I just wanted to ask you about your your sister's relationship with your mother. What kind of relationship mm-hmm. you have with her?
1: Well, actually, both parents. Sure. Um, it was definitely contentious with my mother. Um, they certainly, she was close with both of my parents. She was, I think in a lot of ways, um, you know, people want to say they don't have a favorite child, but I believe oftentimes they do. Um, and I think she was, she was of the children of the three of us, the most similar to them, um, to my parents. So she was very tight with both of them, um, with my father in particular. You know, she was a rare case of a young child who would scream for my father when she, you know, had a nightmare, not not her mom. And, yeah, you know, I found this... I think my sister felt intimidated by my mom. I I really do, and I don't know why. I still can't quite get to the root of that, because at the same time, they, they had so many good times together and a very special relationship of their own. Um, but, yeah, she was close to them.
2: Um, and your father, too.
1: Oh, yeah, very close. Um, they had something that I think very few people experience, just a very, very tight bond.
2: Well, Melanie, you have been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate all your authenticity and candor. Um, it's really been a pleasure. Um, if there's anything you. that you would um, like our listening
1: audience to know, um, do you happen to do a blog? I have um, a website, com, but um, I'm writing mostly right now for ThoughtCatalog.com.
2: Okay. Wonderful, and, wonderful and, site.
1: And what is your
2: um, website, com?
1: Yeah,
2: It's, it's com. And spell Berlier for our listeners, please. That's
1: D like boy, E-R-L-I-E-T. Thank
2: you so much for being with us this morning. Listeners, you've got to pick up the book. It's, it's, <laughs> more, it's more than a great beach read. You know, I think that just kind of minimizes it a little bit. But it is definitely a page turner. Um, don't forget to bring your sunscreen. Um, Melanie, again, thanks so much for sharing with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so
1: much for having me, Francesca. It's okay, been wonderful. Okay, take care. You
2: too. All right, it's time to wrap things up. We have to say goodbye. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as we did. See you next week, same time, same place. Make it a great week.